Lots of us these days are well used to the really helpful and simple phrase, are you okay? Either asking it or being asked ourselves. I must confess, I've seen it as much as anything else as an expression of empathy, solidarity. And if I was really honest, I'm expecting an answer like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Phew. But what if someone says, well, actually, I'm not okay. What do I say then? What do I do? I wonder how many of us would have thought of what would come next. I'm Lee Hatcher, and welcome to the second in our podcast series, Talking About Suicide. I'm in conversation with Lynn Worsley, founder and director of the Resilience Centre, who has an enormous amount of clinical experience and expertise in this area. And Megan Webster, a provisionally registered psychologist and school counsellor. They've been doing lots of thinking about what would come next if someone says, well, I'm not okay. And they've got a whole lot of tips and helpful responses. Lynn, Megan, welcome. Thanks for having us, Lee. It's great to see you again. Do you sometimes feel true confessions like I've just expressed? Absolutely. I feel so sometimes a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious that somebody is going to be suicidal in front of me or, you know, say they're going to be going through all of those thoughts that I'm going to have to deal with and Mm. I'm not going to be equipped because everybody's different. Yes, yes. And I'm sometimes not so sure that I'm going to be the best person for them. It's common across our profession, which is something most people don't realise, that a lot of us feel similarly to anyone in that moment, that weight of what's about to happen in this conversation and that weight of the responsibility you have being the person they're talking to right now. You want them to leave feeling better than than when they came in. Yeah. Mm. I think the word weight is a really powerful kind of illustration of that, although I find it a bit surprising, but also comforting in a way. You'd both acknowledge that it might often be a surprise for someone to say that, you know what, I'm not okay, actually. Yeah, I think often we're hoping that they will just say, I'm okay, and we can go, all right, I've done my job. (laughs) Goodbye. Yeah, it can be a surprise, and you can have that sudden feeling of, now what do I say? I have no idea, and we all just try and blunder through. I think that's the phrase you used last time, Lynn. We do blunder through. You know, I guess one of the things that happens as a psychologist is that we are dealing with people who are often in a space of feeling unwell um, and not okay. And so we we have that exposure. Mm. And so it doesn't, over time, it doesn't create as much fear. But the fear is there that, you know, what if what I've said isn't enough? What if my questioning wasn't hitting the mark but if we just stayed with that fear we wouldn't go in and create the hope and that's our job our job is to have the conversations that create hope conversations that might turn the conversation around towards something that's going to be better for them that fear is really a positive healthy thing it's a sign that we care if somebody told you that they weren't okay or that they were feeling like ending their life and you didn't feel afraid then maybe it would be hard to help them it's beautiful I also think you're both being rather humble because you've got key strategies and key things to say that we're able to say which we'll get to yes Mm. this really could happen in any everyday conversation yes uh, a few weeks ago I was at a shop 
and I noticed having the the normal chit chat with the cashier you know how are you good how are you well I'm still here I thought uh oh yes that sounds not so great ominous mm. and so I decided to ask are you okay and he was quite surprised uh, and sort of went yeah <laughs> why why are you asking and I said oh just you know normally if people say that kind of thing it can be a sign that they're not feeling great but then he he was so touched you know I think people go around their day they're not used to being asked because we're all so rushed because we're all so rushed and so at the very least I think it was a positive experience for him that somebody some stranger came in and cared how he was doing Lynn say someone's depressed from a psychologist's point of view what's actually going on there what's happening in that person when someone is depressed it sort of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the the depression does what you call a negativity bias so it makes the brain attend to everything that's bad it makes the brain attend to the worst case scenario and so if you look for something negative you will find it on every corner yes yeah Uh, and really you know you search for something you'll find it So essentially, if you've got a negativity bias, it's just going to perpetuate the problem over and over and over again and in some ways amplify what is a smaller problem into something that's huge and then you end up with the thinking that goes with that. So the other thing that happens is that with that negativity bias is that the brain then says, withdraw, withdraw, don't tell anybody else what's going on. You're the only one that's got this problem. No one can help. No one can help. It's all about you. You're the problem. You're making everyone's life worse. And it does this very pessimistic style of thinking that makes it so it's impossible to change. Is it more than just being a glass half-empty person? It's more than that. Okay. It's more than that. It's quite fixed. We talk about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. I think it's much more than that. It becomes almost like a uh, the depression in somebody is invested in keeping that person depressed. Okay. We talked a lot about hope in our first podcast conversation in this series. So how do you move, I've always wondered this, how do you move the conversation towards that sense of hope without being overly positive? Like, don't make me sick. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that is an art. That is something yeah. that as psychologists we're trained to yes. do. But there are some very simple things that people can use on everyday conversations, such as if someone is saying, it always happens to me. Well, they're using two terms that are very much negativity bias and very much perpetuating the depressive mindset. Those two terms are always and it's always about me. So if we're able to just tweak the conversation, even if you go always... And they might go, oh, most of the time. So then as soon as you've got most of the time, you've got a little glimpse that's turning your head towards the opportunity to talk about, well, when is it not like this? It opens the window a bit. It opens the window. The other one is, it's me, I'm the problem. So it might be then a situation so other people don't contribute to this. So, well, yeah, you know, I've, you know... Don't start me. Don't start me. There's this person and this person and this person. And so once you start talking about other people causing the issue, that sounds like it's pretty negative, but it's actually a little bit more optimistic because it's not just sits with you. 
and you're not the problem. So those two terms of going, sometimes, let's talk about that, or so other people, how are other people contributing, or how are other things contributing to this, even COVID contributing to this, then means it's not just me. It's easy to take some of this advice and go, okay, well, I have to be talking about the positive all the time. I have to be moving them towards hope. I have to be, and you might forget to listen. Uh It's quite important sometimes to just sit back and and maybe say nothing for a little while. It's okay to say nothing for a little while and just hear them. And that can be quite helpful too, because if, if somebody's feeling really low, part of what's, what's wonderful about our emotions our positive and our negative emotions is that they help us to communicate with others it's part of their purpose and so if the person feels that their emotion has been understood their emotion has been communicated effectively then they might feel ready to move on to talking more positively but if they feel like they haven't been understood yet well then they need to express their emotion stronger and louder until they're understood Mm. so even just hearing someone going and, and saying yeah that that sounds really hard or just leaving a space. Or just leaving a space. We're always keen to fill that space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to get comfortable with your own silence sometimes. Then it's a bit of a tricky balance to let someone be heard but not amplify what you call the negativity bias and instead move them along some kind of path where they might have tried something that works. It is a very big balance. Yeah. And I, I tend to think of us having these conversations as walking a tightrope. And there's two ends of the tightrope. There's the tightrope that is the fears, the things that are the risk factors, the thoughts that that are there. Then sometimes those thoughts are so dominant that the person needs to be able to talk them out. And then the other one is the reasons for living at the other end. And that tightrope is really, really tight. But if we spend so much of our time on one end and not the other, then we make the tightrope floppy and that's not helpful yes yes. so you know we do have to have this balance but it isn't a balanced conversation that we need to have if we have a balanced conversation someone with a negativity bias has got so much negativity there and we come in with a balanced conversation we just add to the negativity bias and we don't help give them the tightrope and we're probably not listening as much as we could no no so this is where Our approach at the Resilience Centre is really nested in the resilience research, which talks about keeping attention alive. And when you keep the tension alive, it gives you choices. If you haven't got that tension alive, you tend to resolve it one way or the other. And so what we're after here, if someone is suicidal and they're saying, I am not okay, and they've got a negativity bias then we need to give them the opportunity to open up their conversation that takes them into other options, other ways of thinking, and reminding them that there is another way or another option that they can take. It's probably worth saying that we bring our own experiences, our own kind of fears and hopes, as you Mm. say, into this conversation Mm. as well. And that can be tricky. Oh, Look, honestly, Lee, I think that's probably the most important thing out of all of these conversations is that when we come to a conversation with a fear that what if I say something wrong, what if it doesn't work, you know, should we be looking for the risk, should I be talking, I'm not equipped for this, so I'm not going to say anything. If that's the fear, then basically we contribute to the negativity bias. Mm. 
And quite often, a lot of the talk that we have in the media has been around that. You know, what is the risks? Let's look at the stats. Let's look at the ages. Let's look at the problems that have happened. Let's see how oh, COVID's going to make it so much worse. So all that happens is it adds to the negativity bias. So what we need to be doing is going, okay, let's have a conversation in our own heads about what is our hopes for this life? What are our hopes for this person that I've got in front of me? What are our hopes for the person in the, in the shops that we're just bumped mm. into that they are really okay? And that means we have to deal with our own fear and our own psyche yeah. before we have the conversation. I remember you saying in our corona conversations early on in the virus how you could think about what life's going to be like when it's over. Yes, Mm. yes. And if you can think about what life is going to be like when you're feeling better and you have a little bit of a hope that it could be better, you know, what would be better if I didn't have depression anymore or what would be better if I didn't have these suicidal thoughts or what would life be like if I wanted to live even if I don't at the moment, but what would it be like if I did? And that conversation becomes an opening for us. There's a bit of hope there. And just even just visualising that tension or that tightrope, let's get the tightrope happening again. Let's pull on those strings so at least we can start having a debate in our heads because the negativity bias doesn't have a debate. It just looks for all the negative stuff. Sometimes we can get caught up in saying things that address our own fears or make us feel better in that conversation but aren't necessarily all that helpful particularly asking about risk often we're doing that to tick a box or to make ourselves feel like it's okay this person's safe but asking about risk doesn't necessarily give us a very accurate picture of how safe the person is I think asking about safety can give us a much better picture of how safe the person is So one of the things that we can think about in our own head with that tightrope is that if you're really fearful of the conversation and you're going, what if this conversation doesn't work? And should I be looking at the risks? What if I say something bad and it makes it worse? So what tends to happen is that you pull back and you don't go in there. You may not have the conversation. But if you had hopes in that when I have this conversation with this person, I'm really hoping that this will make a difference. I'm really hoping that they see that things are worth living. You might actually have in your head the thought that goes, what if they have already tried something in the past that's been helpful, but they've forgotten about it? Or in your own head, you're thinking, what if they remember in the conversation that we're having why they're alive? What if this conversation that I'm having with them now moves them away from their own fears? What if I find out how amazing they are when I'm having this conversation, despite how sad they are, Mm. what if I might even be more interested in them and that my interest in them creates a little bit of a light for them? What if that's all it is? It's worth saying probably for the 50th time in these conversations, this will take time and it'll take care, even love for a person. It takes genuine care, genuine love. And quite often we talk about the wonderful positive regard that we get with our clients in our therapy sessions. I bet. You know, sometimes people come in and they don't want us to like them. But when we have a conversation when we can visualise 
how they would be in their best self, we really, really start to love them. Oh, and wonderful. it's it's beautiful. Yes. It's an absolute honour. But we can do that on an everyday conversation. We can practice that meeting someone in the shopping queue mm. or talking to the person at the checkout. We can do that on the weekend. I met up with somebody in the homeless service that I help out with on the weekend and he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy at all. He'd slept rough. And the conversation was, how are you? Don't ask. I'm here. So, you know, how did you go? What's got you here? And he told me all sorts of things that got him there, which aren't necessarily the things that you'd particularly recommend. But you know what? That's also a sign that he's trying. To me, it's like, well, at least you tried. And you've taken the time to be Taken the time. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I did. You know, might not work for you, but, you know, it works for me. He said, good on you, mate. Would you like egg with that? <laughs> you know, so that conversation is a sense of, of really looking into someone and seeing that hope. Grounded in normality as well. Could you both, just to begin to wrap up, give us a few more of the practical responses of how some of these conversations might realistically play out. So Megan's going to put together a handout for people to download, just some questions that might be useful. Yeah, that's good. That would be helpful for people to be able to use at any time, and I think you just need to get onto our website for that. But some of the questions that we can use might be, you know, when someone says, I'm not okay, and, you know, I want to die, or I prefer to be dead, you can then go, well, what's happening? Which is a realistic thing to ask. Yes. But how would you prefer to be? Might be a little bit of a tweak to get it maybe a a response what Mm. sort of response might you get for that you might get oh I don't know don't ask me that and genuinely they may not know they may not and sometimes I don't know sometimes that's just an indication that somebody needs some time to think they weren't expecting that question and give them the time to think Mm -hmm. don't take their turn in the conversation just give them a bit more time another question might be so when did you last feel good what might happen then it might be I'm not sure I don't remember. Never? Never. Oh, when I was three. Okay. What happened when you were three? Again, that yes, those conversations yes. then open up a, well, I was at home, I had support, bad things didn't happen to me then. That's worthy of having a conversation totally, about. Totally, totally. What have you already tried? Everything. Nothing worked. Yeah, so again, we have that negativity bias. So nothing worked? Oh, I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> nothing worked? I suppose there was one thing that worked. It doesn't work anymore. Okay, so what was that one thing? So yeah. again, we've got a little bit of a glimpse that there was something we've tried. What helps you a little tiny bit? You might get family. You might get drugs and alcohol. You might get... My dog. My dog. Mm. You might go, oh, well, you've got to do something. So when you have that sense of anything they're doing, even if it isn't looking like it's a positive thing, like drugs and alcohol or you know, doing things that perhaps are a little bit deviant, they're at least something that somebody's doing to make them feel better. And you're still opening that window up. You're opening the window. Bit. Just yes. think of that tightrope. You're just looking at the other end of it. Yeah. And I think with those sorts of answers, the ones that might make you feel like you're not getting anywhere or might make you feel, oh, that doesn't seem like a very good reason to keep going. I need to get a better answer. Anything that's keeping them going is keeping them going. And remember 
the depression is trying to push you away. Mm. The depression is trying to create distance between you. So if you can accept those answers and validate those answers, you're not letting the depression push you away. Another question might be, so how are you going to get through today? How did you get through yesterday? Or um, looking out for who's been helpful. It might be just the coffee shop man. It might be somebody who smiled at them as they walked along the street. So, okay, so that was really good that your brain was listening to that. Or is there someone you know that is worth talking to? What would they tell you? Even if you can't, if they might have passed away, what would they tell you about what to do? So who's been a good friend to you recently? Who knows you really, really well? What are some reasons to keep going just today? So what are you hoping for today? That just gives that immediacy. And particularly if you've got someone who hasn't got a real sense of a future, just today is enough. Yeah, yeah, that's Mm. a good point. The thing that I I like to talk about is, you know, what if the smallest thing happened that made a smallest difference in how you're feeling? You know, what would that be? And there's probably something for everyone in that, no matter how bad you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It might be that the chicken and mayo sandwich down at the Coles was there and wasn't gone, you know. It could be the smallest thing (laughs) that you have no – there's no significance. But the fact that you've asked about it might mean all we're doing is just turning our head in a direction that's into the hope. What might happen to show you that there's a slight hope? Uh, Another thing might be, you know, what have you done in the past that has helped you to get through? What was the most useful thing that you've tried? Because the assumption is that you've tried. If someone's in front of you and they're feeling pretty bad, there's a good chance that they've tried an awful lot of things. Yes. What we need to be aware of is that there are a bag of resources in front of you and sometimes the tapping into their resources acknowledges that they've been wanting to live all this time. You are also offering them a range of other quite practical things that they also might try that they might not have thought of. Yeah, and I have a a lovely story that just resonates in my head from a conversation I had with a young girl recently. And this is one that was just a conversation in the street. You know, I know her, so as we were walking along, um, she was pretty low. And uh, because I'm a psychologist, I tend to have conversations that go pretty quickly to where the core is. And I do that without realising. And so as we're walking along, she's just said, you know, how awful she's feeling and that, you know, things have been really tough and she's been trying to get in to see somebody and hasn't been able to get in to see someone and gave me all of the things that she'd been trying that she, without realising. She was loading up all of the negative things, but they were all trying things. As we parted at the traffic lights, because um, I was crossing in one direction and she was crossing in another, I just said, you know, everything you've told me tells me you are trying desperately to live so you must really want to live yeah and she looked at me and she goes yes i really do wow you know she contacted me a couple of weeks later and said thank you what you said was awesome and i went what did i say (laughs) i don't know what i said i didn't mean to say anything whatever it did (laughs) intentionally you know i wasn't doing therapy and she goes i know but you said to me as we left i really wanted to live and i decided then how much i wanted to live there's such a load of wisdom and great practical experience that goes behind all of what both of you have said and we'll put the link to these questions up on our podcast page as well so people can access. Megan, Lynn, thank you so much again. And thanks for the conversation, Lee.
You've been listening to another Talking About Suicide podcast from the Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. Feel free to share these important conversations on your socials. And you can head to the website for the link to those really helpful questions and more podcasts in this series, www.theresiliencecentre.com.au.